Hi, everyone. I'm John Strasner. And I'm Britta Alexander. And this is Break Some Dishes, an Imagine a Place production. We're here because we realize that sometimes to get something done, you've got to start by breaking stuff up. We talk with scientists, artists, activists, educators, adventurers, and of course, designers who are doing incredible things to save our planet. Verda is a designer and I'm a talker. So we want to share these amazing conversations with you in the hopes that you'll be as inspired and excited by them as we are. And you'll start breaking some dishes of your own. There's no time to lose. So welcome to Break Some Dishes. Jeff, we're really happy to have you today. Jeff Frost, um, project manager, material specialist, co-founder of, uh, you're the co-founder of Mindful Materials Collaborative, which is which is very interesting. Long time ago. Long time ago. We had Annie on. From, oh, good. Good. Yep, awesome. Not too long ago. She's an yeah. amazing, yep. amazing person. You are now with Brightworks, which is a consulting company that mm-hmm. helps clients with a multitude of different green certifications. And mm-hmm. I'm probably oversimplifying that to a degree, but I just also wanted to point out that you're a member of the Health Product Declaration Collaborative, um, co-chair of Convent Inventory Technical Subgroup, which is tasked with improving the content and the structure of the Health Product Declarations, which we can talk about a little bit because, you know, the environmental product declarations and the health product declarations are, mm-hmm. are beastly documents. And I yes. think uh, a lot of what you do at Brightworks is to try to simplify that data for your clients. Mm-hmm. So yep. um, you also, you were with Smith group mm-hmm. based in Arizona for a while, where yep. I think it's interesting. You actually developed their sustainability performance workbook. Right. And so yep. it's I, I really wanted to introduce you to Verda because Verda's been up to her neck, maybe <laughs> even a little over her head in her playbook that she's developing for her design firm O plus A. So anyway, that's thanks. Jeff Frost. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. We're super excited to have you. Sure. Thank you. Um, Brightworks overall, you know, we focus on not just the kind of green building and wellness aspects of a real estate portfolios. Um, but also helping them with their kind of corporate emissions uh, and some of their um, uh, ESG metrics as well. You know, my role, a material specialist, largely doesn't exist in a lot of uh, companies and firms. Um, I know four years ago when I started at Brightworks, it was just something that was on my radar screen in terms of where I wanted to take the firm. Um, and it, you know, took two years to get to a place where they felt confident that there was, you know, enough work and then pretty soon we were overwhelmed with work and now we have six people that are all part of our our team so how does one become a materials specialist <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's a great question i you know i would love to say that it's you know some uh deep eight year college experience and uh no it's just uh it's years and for me it's been years and years and years of trying to tackle these issues um, and I just I feel confident enough in the space to to focus on it full time. Um, it's also one of those fields that 
uh, is incredibly complex. Um, and I'm certainly not an expert in every aspect of those things. Um, so as much as we call ourselves material specialists, it's, you know, it's really leveraging what we know in the marketplace and having friends and, and being able to have conversations and, and socializing the things and issues that you're trying to address and finding solutions. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, you know, to me, it's not always training that, that gets you there. It's, it's experience and just knowing the right people. You were, I mean, you're an architect by, by education. By training, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how did you get into this? Was it your time at Smith Group when you put that workbook together? You realized that that was your calling or? So I always, I, I, I've always had somewhat of an environmental bend, uh, I guess. Uh, when I went to, uh, graduated from Lawrence Tech uh, in Detroit, I went to um, Phoenix right after graduating or shortly after graduating with a couple of friends and um, started really getting involved with uh, alternative building technologies like straw bale and things like that. Um, and we had a client that came to us in about in 2001 who was chemically sensitive. And uh, her comment to me or to us was, this is great. We want to we want to do a remodel on our house. Very much interested in trying to do it as efficiently and effectively as possible. We want to change the way that we live in this space without it costing us too much money. Um, and by the way, we have chemical sensitivity, my daughter and I. And so anything that goes inside the house has to be has to be vetted. We need to make sure. Don't you think we all have chemical sensitivity? We absolutely do. We just don't all realize it. <laughs> well, uh, you know, and it's the uh, um, we all react differently, right? There are our, yeah. our bo- each of our body burdens is different. Um, my, you know, as an example, I grew up in Michigan. Um, you know, have some of my own chemical sensitivities. Um, I don't necessarily know exactly all the history of the things that I've been exposed to. But my wife, on the other hand, who uh, had to have her thyroid removed and has uh, Hashimoto's uh, autoimmune disease, she grew up in State College. um, And a lot of uh, growing up in State College back in the 70s and, and early 80s was dealing with a lot of the pollution coming from Pittsburgh the steel developments from Pittsburgh. So there was a lot of exposure for her in that area. So a lot of it has to do with where we were raised and how, what kind of, what kind of body burden we've taken on, um, what kind of body burden our parents took on before we were born, because that's a thing, you know, that, that we share the chemical footprints of, of ourselves with our children. Um, so the more that these things accumulate in people and then generation to generation, the more that they're going to have those problems. And you'll see it emerging really early for some people, like my wife, where it was in her 30s that these things started to emerge. Um, other times, you just, you know, it's this slow little decay that happens, these kind of uh, reactions. And so it's, um, yeah, it's just a hard thing to hard thing to track. But to your point, uh, yes, everybody has a body burden. I, I think it's yeah. just a matter of degrees. Yep. Yeah, I have Hashimoto's and my son does. I developed mm-hmm. it in my 40s. And he's, mm-hmm. you know, as a, a kid, right? Yep. yep. Right off the bat, pretty much. Right there. I, I think it's becoming all too common of a story. Yeah. No coincidence. And I'm definitely connected <laughs> to environment. My, my doctor is convinced of it too. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, and you know, you usually have to search around for a few years to find the right doctor who actually understands these things. But once you do, it, it all starts to make sense. Once they do the right connect, once they run the right tests and they do the right screening, get pretty good clues as to what your body has in it. Um, And it's pretty alarming when you start to see it. Yeah, literally. So take us through your work with Smith Group then, because 
I'm, I'm interested to hear you compare notes with Verda. What did you do with this workbook that you developed? Yeah, so that was a, um, you know, uh, gosh, back in the days when everything was Excel, Excel based. Yeah, when was this, by the way? How, how yeah, long ago? Yeah, so. I mean, that was 2010 when I started at, at Smith Group, and I probably right. developed it the first or second year that I was there. Part of it was um, wanting to track how projects were performing. And we had uh, energy modeling information, kind of loose energy modeling information. And it, I think it, it was an outgrowth of this um, uh, uh, post-occupancy evaluation work that's you know all too talked about and often never done uh, work that uh, architects do. So the idea started was, let's start to record what we can on how the building is performing on design. And then let's build some mechanisms to um, build off of that so that we can go back and measure how the performance is changing over time. And we can start to look at that graphically. And then it became just kind of layering in other things like, okay, well, let's also do this with water. Let's also do this with emissions. Let's start to do this with materials. Let's start to track some of the lead stuff. And so it really just kind of grew to be this gargantuan way too big Excel spreadsheet of information <laughs> that uh, was extremely useful for the clients that we could implement it on, but not something that we implemented on on every project. So ended up being kind of like a lot of things in architecture firms. I think there tends to be these kind of bursts of, you know, inspiration and kind of encapsulated, you know, uh, or isolated um, ideas that rarely ever kind of emerge out of the firm. <laughs> so that happens to be one of those. Uh, yeah. And I remember that time, lots of firms were doing that kind of stuff. And that was when, again? That was 2010, 2011, somewhere in that time frame. Okay. Yeah. We jumped up, jumped on fairly late in the game, just really pretty much last year, we started our mm -hmm. own playbook and not just materials, although I was super inspired by, I believe Brightworks created this, the healthy, what is it, for Salesforce, right? The healthy materials in the workplace. Mm. Oh, right, I referenced guide. that mm -hmm. a lot for the materials yeah. chapter of our playbook. That's Which, by great. the way, John, a... it came out this morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's another version of that uh, emerging, too. Yeah, oh, I got the email great. today, so. Yeah. Oh, good, good. So, so an updated updated version for Salesforce? Yep. Yeah, they're doing some great things. They are doing some great things. They're true leaders in this space. It's been it's been fun to work with them. Uh, it's nice to have a client who loves it when you push the envelope and push them to to do more. You're probably fortunate in that the clients you work with are usually pretty progressive. Otherwise, they wouldn't be reaching out to you. I'm extremely lucky. I mean, we get to every client that we work with is, tr is really trying to push the envelope. They, that's yeah. usually why they come to us. Um, what's what's uh, maybe more of the, the, the other side of things is um, taking what we're able to do for those, uh, those clients and trying to get the, the people who aren't doing that work um, to do more of that. The ones who are just kind of tiptoeing around these conversations, how do we get them more engaged? What makes Salesforce so progressive what do you see in salesforce that differentiates them i mean they want to do the right thing i mean i think that's and they're willing to spend money to do it and i and that's been to me that's been the biggest driver uh you know you almost don't get a no you know you have to prove your point and you have to get 
everyone on board to things. It's not like they're just saying yes to everything, but you, you prove your point as to why this is valuable and why this is important. And once they do that, then that's, they're like, okay, we got to do it. I mean, I remember we went through this conversation with FSC several years ago where they wanted to make that, you know, they were considering whether or not to make that a mandatory thing. So we put together some resources, identified what it was, was were going to be the priorities, how that was a benefit. It is going to cost more. That's just the reality of, of FSC and supporting sustainable forestry. It's like that's it's got to happen. But it's also a fundamental component of how we're going to solve this climate crisis is to stop ripping out wood that we can't can't trace, that we can't track. And so when you start putting all of those pieces together, they were like, okay, so what's the delta on this? And you know, we talked with a number of vendors to find out what the, the cost increases were. And they were like, yeah, no, that sounds reasonable. Let's just do it. So if there's a, a direct connection, not just to their employees, but to the world, they listen. And that's pretty amazing. Not many clients do that. I feel like it's starting to change, but it's it's so true as a design firm. It's it's been so hard just to even change the smallest action, smallest routine, the way we do things, and even how our client our clients' expectations around not just cost but time and the speed of yep. things. And then the, and then there's all these the teams, right? The contractors, the consultants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. There's so much of it that's broad. Yeah. It's one thing to want to do the right thing, but then, yeah, really doing it. Yeah. You have yeah. to, the design firm has to sell a lot of people. There's a lot of responsibility placed on the design firm. Yeah. And there's a, unfortunately, as we, as we see as a consulting practice, there's just way too much to know. There's just, I mean, you know, it was, if you go back 10, 12 years ago, you know, it was, lead and some wellness stuff, you know, maybe some inklings of biophilia, regeneration, you know, depending on what you wanted to do. So when, if I could look back at my, even my time at Smith Group, you know, it was, it was somewhat easier to be the jack of all trades, uh, right? To be kind of that one person or that group of small group of people who kind of led sustainability within a, a practice. But now, like even coming to Brightworks, you start to see all of the, like how deep all of these issues go from a knowledge perspective and a, in a, yeah, just what you need to know to, to be able to do that work effectively. Um, you know, you just can't do it. That's why we've, you know, started to make practice areas because it's, you got to go so deep in wellness, health and wellness. You got to go so deep in corporate workplace. You got to go so deep in, in even green building and wellness activities now. And nobody's, you know, I guess there are still people just getting lead certifications, but we're starting to see a lot more multiple certifications where it's, you know, you're managing multiple certifi- uh, things like well and, and lead, not just uh, one. Uh, have you seen um, a development from just certifying projects and buildings to certifying products and materials now so we know what we put in the buildings because you know one of the things verda and i discovered early on in our podcast and i think we both talk about this we've been doing this together now for over a year and um, it's amazing you know the people we've gotten to meet and the things that we've learned but we learned about embodied carbon right out of the gate Mm -hmm. which really puts the focus on what you put in the buildings yeah totally totally um yeah, I mean, we have lots of certifications in the building, but it's a messy space. Uh, it's the space that I live in most of the time, and I, I would say it's it's nothing but confusing for a lot of people. I think we've uh, we've had the luxury of being very focused as an industry around health 
issues, right? Things about toxins and removal of toxins. And I think we've gotten the longest way there. Disclosure mechanisms and transparency tools like HPD and Declare, things like that, that help us to understand what's in these products. There's a lot of really great work there, even assessment, ways to optimize those, looking at cradle to cradle and living product, that kind of stuff. But when we start, you know, you start layering on all of these components, you start looking at the health component of this, you start looking at the carbon component of this, you start looking at the circularity components of these, you start to then add on water and waste and now social components to this, which is the framework that we've started to develop. I mean, that holistic approach is is almost on, it's, almost, it's a foreign topic for a lot of people. And it, it's just as almost as starting to get as complicated as um, being able to manage a project on your own. There's so much to know about each one of those facets of a, of a material that if you don't know kind of the technical aspects of what you're looking for, it makes it really difficult to make choices. And people tend to default just to, well, it's got a declare label, so that's good enough for me. And we've got to get past that. We've got to get back to being able to make it easier for for designers to find these kind of multivariable products and identify them. The declare label is a good starting point, but you're you're mm-hmm. saying it's not the end all be all. Well, I mean, it's one form of disclosure, right? But there there's other pieces that we also need to be to be working on as well. So there's um, uh, obviously the you know relative to carbon, the declare label has a carbon report component in there. But that's really has should be and should be coming from a LCA or an EPD, right? A separate document that that inf- that carbon information is is emerging from. Um, we haven't really seen too much from a certification of uh, like circularity types of topics, but yeah, I mean we tend to see certifications again very very focused on the health and carbon aspect of things, and very little on the other topics yet. So I think there's still a lot more to go. What would you suggest as a designer or advice to give us like how do you how do you start without just getting completely overwhelmed? I think we got quite overwhelmed creating our playbook and still still are fumbling around on how to start, where to start. Yeah. And I, I've been thinking that maybe the thing to do is pick your passion mm-hmm. point. Like maybe it's recovery and reuse, so circularity, or maybe it's lowering the carbon footprint of the project and and start there and maybe mm-hmm. by that one entry point you can build your knowledge i'm not sure yeah i think i mean i think that's a good approach for for an individual to be able to not get too too overwhelmed it's hard not to um you know we're, we're kind of we're constantly bombarded with all of the details every day and we have client i mean not every firm has that every client uh, is asking for it. We, we run into that now where every client is asking for the world. You know, they want to be able to know that it's not do you know, it's not doing damage here. It's not doing damage there. It's not going to poison our people. And we can also give it back and, you know, get it out of our space and not have to throw it in a landfill. So they're always, we tend to be working with those clients that are pushing the envelope. So when you're working with clients, they tend to have either one issue that they're trying to address or tend to be something that they'll latch onto. Like they can, generally support selecting healthy materials because they have employees and they may recognize that that's where most of their money and finances are going to go. So protecting their people starts to make sense for them. But yeah, I think from a 
internal perspective, pick your passion. That's a great place to start. Um, another piece for me is um, watching where mindful materials is headed as someone who's been there for a long time uh, and seen this kind of grow from its original kind of grassroots volunteer to what will eventually emerge as a, uh, hopefully as a nonprofit organization here in, in 2022. Um, I think they're playing kind of this industry kind of UN position, trying to raise all boats and trying to bring the level of education of the whole industry up. Um, we're in trying to align more of what we can select from a product perspective to align with the AIA pledge and the IIDA pledge and ASID pledge, like all of those things that are happening that, that uh, Metropolis just released. So bringing all of those stakeholders together and then building a foundation of data, the information around these products. So I think that uh, that's one way that other designers can start to get integrated into this is to start to get engaged with that collective work, that industry work, and you'll slowly kind of get up to speed. And what's great is by hopefully this time next year, we'll have a fairly significant data set that we can draw from that gives people, maybe the initial piece will be kind of a good, better, best type of selection process. Um, I think that's maybe the baby step that the industry needs before it can move on to scoring or more advanced thinking. Um, mm -hmm. So I think tools will start to emerge that'll make it a little easier. So I think that engagement will be important. That would be very helpful. I, I love the tab that Mindful Materials is developing on social health and equity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll get more robust as the, the years go on. What's what's difficult is that we don't have a lot of certifications in that space. There's a lot of best practices um, that we've done through our scoring tool, but not much that's emerged from certifications like cradle to cradle. The just label. Just exactly. B Corp has a few, but, lar you know, not all of them are focused on all of the different components like you want. There's some aspect that's focused on your own company other uh, parts that are focused on the community at large and kind of the world at large that you're a part of. And then obviously the biggest part is supply chain, right? How are you addressing supply chains? And so each one of those becomes a kind of a key impact category. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just when you thought you had your head wrapped around climate health, we bring social <laughs> equity into the conversation. I and know. now it's just a whole it's vital. It's so important, but it is. Brightworks has a, a product uh, certification model, don't you? We don't, not a certification. So what we, um, we have a holistic framework that we just kind of lovingly call Bright, Brightside right now. Okay. But it's a scoring methodology that allows us to be able to score a product and a company uh, in order to determine how it performs from a health carbon circularity, water waste, and social perspective. And what we've done is we've pulled all of the information directly from the certifications and standards that exist globally. So we're not uh, creating anything new. All we've done is just kind of digest it all together uh, and filter it out as to what are the most important metrics to be capturing. And you'll start to see that because you start to see common metrics from one approach to another. So HPDs and Cradle to Cradle and Declare all have very common components to it. Even though they're completely different, they all have commonalities to them. And they should. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's it's part of a it's part of a hidden language that's you know that's underneath all of this stuff, like a hundred parts per million and a thousand parts per million and disclosures that 
disclosure thresholds and things like that, substances. All of those things tend to be kind of this hidden um, uh, hidden dialogue that happens. That, but those commonalities are the things that we pull out in our, in our scoring tool that we can evaluate. So it doesn't matter if you have Cradle to Cradle or HPD, we can score any of them because it's, it's not based on any one certification, it's based on the underlying data. And so we can do that across all of these. And what's been great about the tool is it allows us to give feedback to manufacturers about how they can improve their performance. And it's been really valuable for companies like Salesforce who wanna integrate that into their procurement strategy because at the end of the day, uh, and Salesforce has recognized this a lot, you know, they have a lot of power when, you can, when you're buying a lot of materials or products from people. And I, and I think there's, you know, if you don't heed the call at this point um, for making some of those changes, the writing's on the wall for, for companies who, aren't, who are looking the other direction because we have a lot of companies who are at, every day asking, okay, so if, if I'm buying drywall, what's the low carbon solution for that? And there's, a hand, there's two manufacturers that are the low carbon solution for that. So if you're not one of those third or fourth manufacturers who's thinking, how do I get my carbon emissions down so that I can be competitive in this space? Mm. Yeah. Like you're, you know, you're missing it right now. Yeah. Now it did not go unnoticed by me that you mentioned mm -hmm. metropolises and the industry's interior design pledge for positive impact. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I'd love to hear what your thoughts on that. I think it's great. I know John mm -hmm. and I both think it's Don't fantastic. lead the witness, Verda. <laughs> <laughs> but I, the one thing I do feel is missing is any kind of metrics or accountability or, yeah tools or calculators to, to get to that point. And I'm sure that it, these were left out in large part because they don't quite exist just yet. Yeah, I mean, me you know, metrics are really hard to define in the space. I think it's gonna be, um, you know, we're working with a group of stakeholders uh, ourselves to be thinking about the next level of reporting for this, the ESG level of reporting. How do we take this information from our buildings and roll it up into something I can submit and say, this is how this building performed on an annual basis. and this is how my whole portfolio performed on an annual basis across these different metrics. So there's work emerging there, but the underlying metrics for us on this is our scoring. And so until we can get the, the broader data set to be as detailed as we need it to make some of that scoring work, it's not going to, it's just not going to get there. We're going to be relying on sort you know, certifications and counts and, you know, pick 10 products and that meets this, you know, that, that are declare and that meets this requirement or find 10 products that have EPDs and that meets this requirement. We're going to be relying on that type of information until there starts to become enough data underneath all of this for us to do, you know, digital gymnastics with it and to be able to assign values to things so that you know that a choice is better or worse. Uh, and we can start to compare that against an industry average, like saying, you know, this particular carpet that you're selecting is best in class and it compares to this benchmark across all of the carpets in this industry. So until we have some of that data to support it, it's going to be a little challenging. I like where, I like the initiative that ASID and Metropolis have in trying to get the interior designer groups together. I am wanting to see them also kind of consider the other components that are out there with the AIA pledge. And mm -hmm. I would love to see kind of a merger of those two exercises because we just all need to be collectively focused on the same things. Yeah. Um, and I think that 
bringing those two efforts together and starting that dialogue and having that conversation and putting those that data element in place that Mindful Materials is looking to do over the next year, uh, I think that's the, the strategic part. And then in 2023, 2024, you know, we're really going to have the ability to kind of turn the dial up on what options you have and how you're selecting and, and how you can actually view that information. Do you think we're reaching a point of critical mass in design where we just expect designers to know all of this and accumulate all of this knowledge? Have we reached a point where you have to have a specialist in your firm, a material specialist like you, for example, or is this a temporary holding pattern that we're in now? And as soon as we get it all sorted and organized, then it's going to be manageable again. No, I, I mean the way that I the way that I look at it is I think you know we we have to build the tools to make it a, uh, effective and useful for designers to to have this make sense. Um, and part of that is because you it, one it has to be a passion for yours. I mean we've seen in thirty years of trying to do education around these topics that the people who pick it up are the people who are passionate about it, the one where it resonates with them, like. You know, maybe right, to, to right. bear this example, you know, they they have a friend or a client who's who's gone through some problems with this, and they're like, "This is something that's really important. I want to make sure that this is addressed with my clients." But the reality is, is that that's a deep specialty, and it takes a lot of time to understand and learn all of those components. And that person is delivering a a boat ton of amazing work on other things, right? It's it, your definition of delivered work isn't just defined by the you know health and carbon sustainability of the materials there's all sorts of other things that you're bringing to this project it could be planning experience it could be project management experience it could be the fact that you know how to run a job it could be the fact that you know how to deal with contractors like there is a ton of technical expertise that goes into putting a building or a project together and it doesn't all have to be you know, not everyone can be siloed in knowing everything about every material ever and all be able to do all of these other things, which is why sometimes we have teams because there's people who are really good at one thing and other people who are really good at other things. And it's like, that's why we put teams together so that we can kind of strategize on who's doing some of the best things. So I think that by pushing people too much to be experts in the space is not the wrong, is not the right direction because they're experts in other things and that's where some of their value is going to be, you know, continue to be emerging, and that's where their passions are. Um, so we just need to give them better tools and better resources, and I think that's that's still emerging. And more importantly, why I'm I'm putting more, uh, even more kind of bandwidth and time and energy towards mindful materials for me because it's we've got to drive that industry collaboration component. Um, and we've got to be more kind of stewards of the information and the data so that we can have the right tools in place. Because we just, right now, even, you know, the tools that we do have are there, but they don't work because the underlying data doesn't, doesn't have enough detail to get us what we need. So we have to get the data right in order for those tools to be effective. And every firm wants to have a library, right? Every firm wants to have a uh, you know, a, a, a list of projects and a list of resources that they turn to, but 
again, without that underlying data, it doesn't go very well. It's so true. And I, I love hearing you talk this way because I, I do think as designers, this all has to get integrated. It has to be seamless into the, our design process and, and easy yeah. to, to grab and pull. And like you said, mm-hmm. it, not, not one of us should have to be an expert in any of yep. these one things. We, we started down this road of thinking, okay, we need our own database of prod- products that we most often specify. But even right. that was a challenge to pull together with the tools that are available right now. Yeah, and and if you're not, if it's not a digital tool, some you know, it's it's Excel spreadsheets, right? <laughs> and so it becomes dead data. You're yeah. you know constantly tracking information that's outdated. You know that was yeah. one of the things that I remember when we started at Brightworks. It was like, well, well let's put a list together of all the right materials for people to do. And I'm like, Mm-mm. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't want to spend any time putting lists together because it's as soon as you do, it's outdated. Like it's the yeah. moment you put the list together, it's outdated. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's definitely lots of, uh, lots of work that needs to be done, but uh, the nice thing is that all of that stuff is happening, right? All of these conversations are happening. And so we're seeing the industry kind of shifting right now as we speak. And I think those, that underlying data is going to be really critical because the next important step for that in, in my mind is if I kind of put my big wish list out there, the next important step for that is having that data transition to um, BIM, where in a Revit environment, when you're selecting materials, I can see how those materials perform from a carbon perspective. And I can also see how they perform from a circularity, health, water. I can kind of visualize those before I make a selection. Um, And I know that a lot of times the architecture side tends to be somewhat generic materials on the the, uh, Revit side of things, but we need to marry those two so that it's in your workflow and people can start to make those decisions right away. So I think that's kind of, that's the trajectory that we kind of envision. That's the future. That sounds amazing. 